0: Welcome to the What Do You Believe podcast, where we bring a relevant Pentecostal voice to the areas of evangelism, discipleship, apologetics, and theology. I'm Jared Walker here with Joe Wyrostek. We are pastoral elders at Metro Praise International. We are also both uh, involved with the School of Urban Missions. I am a faculty on staff there and Uh, Pastor Joe has taught there in the past as well. We also have a cohort um, here in our church where we have students that are called to full-time ministry in the church. Why am I saying all that? Well, we're going to get more into that uh, later on in the show. But just to whet your appetite, if you have a call to full-time ministry, uh, God may be talking to you right now in this program. So stay tuned. Uh, So let me just run down uh, today's agenda, shall we? Number one, about us, we're going to discuss our emphasis on theology. We're going to 2 Timothy 4, is that correct? Correct. And looking at the pastor's duty to disperse sound doctrine among God's people. Secondly, as we go to MPI and what's going on around our church, we're actually going to um, uh, look at SUM Bible College and our cohort and what's going on in the new school year. Uh, In the news, we will be pausing to consider... The death of Chester Bennington, uh, lead singer of Linkin Park, as you probably are well aware, he committed suicide, and uh, we we know everyone's talking about this. I personally know people who are who are completely devastated. They don't even know him, but they they were so touched by his music and are devastated at his loss. And there are some things we need to consider from a biblical worldview. Now, Jared's gems are always. surprise, but I'll just say this. We're going to kind of build off of that discussion when we get into that area. Finally, we're going to get a word from the word, and it's about rest in Jesus. And I can't help but think this show is going to tie together uh, rather wonderfully. And then finally, we will be having Q&A, and you can comment on this post and ask your questions, anything relating to evangelism, discipleship, apologetics, theology, or the Pentecostal worldview. We are welcoming your questions. And before we get into anything, I, I was interested to hear about uh, your, your experience.
1: Uh, you are endeavoring to learn to fly. Yes, I want to become a Living the pilot. dream. Yes, I want to do that. Part of my desire is to become a pilot. And to fly for the Lord and do great things. And so I went down to an airport to see if I could uh, get signed up for the lessons. I found out they're quite expensive. Then I was kind of hoping that I could get up there on one of those flights that they do to break people in, and it looked like it was going to happen, but then some things changed last minute, so my wife and I were setting it up as something for us to do in the future. So thank you for asking, and then I want to hear about your trip, because we missed you uh, while you were in uh, California, so we'll hear about that during the SUM time. Well, here is the time, the section of our show where we're getting into the um, the four main attributes of what our show is about. What do you believe is an apologetic um, show, uh, or rather a Pentecostal uh, podcast that focuses on evangelism, discipleship, apologetics, and theology? And we've already discussed evangelism, discipleship, and apologetics. Now we're on the last one. So let's get here to discuss... Uh, what is important about theology? Now, theo or theos is God, and is the study of. So we want to learn about God. We want to do the study of God. And so if you look look here to the scriptures I'm about ready to put up, in 1 Timothy, we're taught, Second uh, Timothy, rather, chapter Four Second Timothy chapter 4, we're, we're taught the mandate, and there's a lot of other places to do this, but we're really taught here the mandate for good theology, good study about God. Uh, Paul writing to Timothy said here, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge, preach the word. Now notice it says preach the word. Now it says be be prepared in season and out of season, correct rebuke and encourage With great instruction, uh, with great patience and careful instruction. So, not only is the word to be preached in the way we would think, like the setting of a service, but we are to do it with great patience and careful instruction. So, there's going to be teaching that's involved in this. And then it says in verse three, for the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. And that's an important thing to know because the same thing that we are to be careful about instruction is the same word there really for doctrine. Instruction and doctrine are the same word, diasko, um, uh, for from uh, the Greek language there, which means to teach, didiasko, rather, didiasko. And so the very thing that we're to be careful to do when it pertains to God and his word, it says people will not be putting up with in the in times. And I believe we're definitely there. It says instead to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. So it, it doesn't even say it's going to be a small number. It says it's going to be a great number of teachers who are going to basically stop teaching the truth about God and then tell people whatever they want to hear. And then Paul goes on to say that they will turn their ears away from the truth and they will turn aside to myth. So they're going to stop listening to the truth and they're going to start listening to myth. But you keep your head in all situations and do a hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. And so you can see there that it's very important that we incorporate how we teach sound doctrine into our evangelism because what we win them with is what we're going to keep them with. Excuse me. And so what we want to do is follow this charge to preach the word, to correct, rebuke, and encourage with careful instruction, knowing that a time is going to come, and we are in that time now, and there's always like flows of it where it increases. And I think specifically right now in the U.S., we're in a time where it is increasing, where people do not want to put up with sound doctrine. Instead, they're gathering to themselves a great number of teachers who, who are saying whatever the people want to hear, and we've even heard uh, this popularized in today's movements of the church growth movement, like the seeker-sensitive movement, where they are sensitive to what the seeker is thinking. Now, Jesus was sensitive to what the Father was, was teaching and, and, and guiding him to do, and so that's what we need to do in the, the local church, and so this, this podcast Now we can summarize them all together. What do you believe? Because we don't need to do this every week. We're doing this just for our first few podcasts as a foundation. What do you believe? Using the Socratic method that Jesus used, asking his disciples, who do they say that I am? And then who do you say that I am? And that is the same thing we're doing here, challenging our listeners to ask themselves the tough questions of the Bible and what's going on in our culture, making sure they have a Christian worldview. And then we get into our Pentecostal distinctive, that we are Pentecostal believing in the second work of the Holy Spirit subsequent to salvation. It's the second work after being born again, where we have the evidence of speaking in other tongues. We are to be born and baptized in the Spirit, as seen in Acts chapter 2 and throughout the rest of the book of Acts, that when the Holy Spirit came upon them, there was many evidences and signs of it, but the one A consistent evidence was the speaking in unknown languages. And then we have these four things that we want to do while we use this method of asking questions to get forth our perspective and to get the knowledge out there through that Pentecostal worldview. We're talking about evangelism, discipleship, apologetics, and theology. Evangelism is how we go out and reach the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Disciples... Uh, Discipleship is how we make followers of Jesus, teaching them to obey everything that he commanded. We're disciples making disciples. Apologetics is going to be a natural flow to that because as we're out winning souls and making disciples, we're going to have to give an apologia, an answer for the faith that we have with careful instruction and respect. And then we're going to encompass all of this and to guard all of this with the teaching about God, with who is God and what is God like and what does his word teach us. Because as he is, is how he wants us to be. So all of the commands that come to us from the Bible are not arbitrary. They're from the character of God revealing his holiness. And that's why he said, be holy, for I am holy. Jesus said, be perfect as your heavenly father Is perfect. So that pretty much sums up the About Us section. We'll be adding new sections to the show now moving forward. We'll also be having guests uh, come on air with us. So this is something that's really exciting for us. Now we can refer people back to this. Uh, But, Jared, um, how excited are you about the subjects that we'll be covering here in those main categories, evangelism, discipleships, apologetic, and theology?
0: I'm so excited, and I just can't hide it. Come on there i am it's yeah this is living the dream to me to sit and just talk about jesus and talk about the things of god this is my dream come true and i mean that literally uh so our question uh, to you the listener from from about us from theology is simply this do you believe that every disciple of christ is called to be sound in their theology As Pastor Joe pointed out, there is a movement that is seeker-sensitive. There are trends in the church where pastors keep the people of God at the perpetual milk level. Week after week, you're struggling. Week after week, you're hopeless. Week after week, you are the the blind, crippled person in the gospel story, but you're never the empowered uh, disciple. So we definitely uh, believe it is the call of every disciple, not just the leaders, not just the scholars, but every disciple to be sound in their theology, to understand and explain the Trinity properly, to be able to uh, describe salvation and to preach the gospel accordingly, things like that, to have read and understood the whole story of the Bible. This is a call for every believer. Now, moving on to the goings on at MPI, we are partnered with School of Urban Missions Bible College and Theological Seminary. We have a cohort here. Uh, let me back up and say, SUM Bible College was founded in 1992 in New Orleans. Pastor Joe is an alumni, class of '98, and uh, yeah, '98, class you. of '98, and. Uh, Since then, the campus has moved to Oakland, California, and is actually in the process of moving to Sacramento and relocating. But out of that move to Oakland, they devised what is called the cohort model, which is actually huge. It's blowing up. Online education is is massively successful. It's taken off in, in, in recent years. So, we have cohorts across the nation, and that is basically churches that have partnered with SUM and become like internet campuses or satellite campuses, however you want to think of it. And so, the people in those churches that have a call to ministry can now receive a fully accredited degree. We have bachelor's of arts programs in theology, biblical studies, and in areas of the fivefold ministries. So people who have the call to ministry will get a top-notch education with the same accreditation as Moody, Wheaton, or anything else, but it's from a uniquely Pentecostal worldview. Furthermore, as they are partnered with the local church, they are getting in practical, real-life experience serving in their church under the mentorship of their leaders. In my mind, it's the best of both worlds. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul says you have many teachers but not many fathers. Well, S-U-M has many great teachers, but it allows you to stay with the fathers and the mothers and the people that uh, helped you to discover your calling in the first place. So that relationship aspect is not missing. That discipleship aspect is not missing. That aspect where you are actually putting into practice what you are learning in the real world, preaching to the lost, making disciples, Working signs, wonders, and miracles is not lost. So it is a very well-rounded school. I'm very proud to be a part of it. I just came back from uh, San Francisco. They had a cohort advisors retreat. I, I oversee uh, the Chicago cohort here, and they treat us like ballers out in San Francisco. It's just wonderful, beautiful, beautiful place if you've ever been there. It's like springtime all the time and we were out there in Fisherman's Wharf. It was amazing. Uh, The meetings might not be that interesting to anyone on the outside, a lot of administrative stuff, but it helps keep things going smooth and helps keep things improved. But we are starting our classes this fall. Um, Let me just say a few more things about the cohort model. We have, and and honestly, I should know this because I work here, but I'm looking at the webpage. I lost count around 30, but we have easily over 30, cohorts across the United States, from Alabama to Arkansas to California to Colorado to Florida, uh, Louisiana, Chicago here, Louisville, Kentucky, Texas, California, Wisconsin. We're all over the country and we're all over the world. We are in places like the Philippines, Ghana, Pakistan, where uh, national missionaries in those places are getting a fully accredited degree. And uh, so it's incredible. In fact, I just heard that uh, SUM has actually displaced Global University in Jamaica. Wow. Yeah, so we are their go-to for training their ministers for the AG in Jamaica. Praise God. So uh, some big things going in in our international cohort program is ever spreading. Let me just share a few things with you about SUM and it's uh it's mission and it's and its emphasis it's a lot like us we'll, we'll go through this foundational principles this is off of SUM SUM's website sum.edu check it out number 1 bible the scriptures both old and new testament are verbally inspired of god and are the revelation of god to man the infallible authoritative rule of faith and conduct let me pause on this there are schools today that are teaching that the bible is less than than God's inspired and authoritative word. There are professors that are basically giving away the farm to skeptics and saying, yeah, maybe the exodus didn't happen. Maybe the virgin birth didn't happen, but we can still learn something from it. Mm-hmm. There are, and I could name them, and, and they they have a great reputation, but there are professors at major seminaries who don't even believe Jesus, mm-hmm. To, to put it plainly, and if you want those examples, reach out, and I'll, I'll, but I just don't have the time. We are conservative. Amen. We are some Bible-believing Christians. We put the fun in fundamentalists. We, we love the Bible here. We believe the Bible. We teach the Bible, and we teach you to value the Bible. Uh, second is evangelistic urgency. The Bible teaches that humanity is lost in danger of eternal damnation and, des- and in desperate need of a Savior. The Bible further teaches that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died to save mankind from their sins, a salvation which can only be obtained through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and in his finished work upon the cross and the resurrection. Again, very kindred spirits here at MPI Church, here at What Do You Believe? 2SUM. Pastor Joe, being an alumni, learned evangelism in the French Quarter with his professors who... And, and, and the people, the, the dean of men, the people who are working there at the time were actually the founders of the school, and they were teaching him how to preach the gospel, how to win the lost. They showed him how to go to the projects and reach the inner city, uh, and, and they cultivated that heart in him, and that came to us. So we share the sense of evangelistic urgency. Number Three, we have Pente- uh, kingdom living. Number four is it is Pentecostal we're unashamedly Pentecostal, and then number five, we have an emphasis on the fivefold ministry ephesians four eleven says and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. We believe in the fivefold ministry gifts that God has gifted and called certain people to be leaders in Jesus's church. As we wrap up this section, my question to you is, do you believe that you have a call to vocational ministry? Mm. If so, are you how are you being prepared for it? Yes, this is a shameless plug for SUM. Go to sum.edu. See what cohort is in your city. See Uh, Our programs, we offer the best. We are Pentecostal. We are radical. We are bold. We love the Bible. We got what you need. Check us out.
1: Amen. And the way I like to say it is because SUM stands for School of Urban Missions. I like to say, go get you some. Come on. Go get you some. SUM, some. And we have a cohort here in Chicago. This is about ready to be one of our biggest years, if not our biggest. We're going to probably have about 15 students. 18, including masters. Oh, wow. 18, including masters. That is awesome. And Jared also is a professor as well as the cohort advisor. My wife has gotten her bachelor's through it. Now she's going back to get her master's. Praise God. And we were the first of uh, the three churches that started the cohort and uh, the model. And we were one of the guinea pigs. We love it. We are so thankful for it. And uh, we've been doing it now about over 10 years. We, you know, it takes about three years to graduate, depending on what, you know, time frame they take in their classes. But uh, I think we've had about four or five graduations, 20 plus graduates this year, 18 students, only growing. And the students that we have, literally, just like their stat is 80% is in ministry. That's the same thing with us. 80% of our graduates are in ministry. It's very rare to see someone go through SUM and now still not be in ministry. And this is years and years later, um, now getting on about 20 years since uh, I have graduated. I'm still in the ministry. And so that's the question we want to ask you is, are you called? And then the next one is, what are you doing about it? And so I have a lot of friends that are in Pentecostal churches that still devalue education. And we need to stop doing that. Now, I'm not saying you have to get it at an expense, uh, an expensive college, or you have to do it a certain way, but we need to value education. We need to give the Reformed and the Baptists and the Presbyterians a run for their money. We need to establish Holy Spirit-filled institutions that can get the message out in in systematic ways. And by the way, that's like one of the number one things we always hear on the mission field, the times I was overseas, is how can you get us Bible college? That's what they're always asking. How can you get us more training for our pastors? And that's why SUM has a a heart for the missions and is now putting this in in the mission field. So let's go on now to end the news. And by the way, any questions that you have, you guys can ask us in the Q&A, uh, and the Q&A will answer them, and you can ask them right now in the chat box. You can find us at what do you TV.com because we have a web uh, page there. iTunes and the app, you can get all of our goodies there, along with our uh, presuppositional clouds-level class. We're giving away for free every Tuesday now. We also do it live here from uh, 8 to 9.30 p.m. Central Standard Time. You can find us at Metro Praise International under iTunes and our app and then here on Facebook. What do you believe? So we're so glad that you're uh, checking us out today. Well, I don't know about you, but it is disheartening to see uh, what's going on in our culture with this uh, suicide epidemic. It's really becoming a problem for a lot of people. I had to do some research on this a while back, but I tied it in here to my notes online. You can see this on the website, what do you believe, TV.com? And basically, uh, Chris Cornell from Soundgarden had just taken his life, and then Chester Bennington from uh, Lincoln Park now took his life. And I think here Brian Welch, now a Christian, Doesn't always use Christian vocabulary, but he travels with corn still. Uh, He was a member and is a member. And uh, he kind of shared his heart here, and I can kind of identify with this and tell me, especially some of you guys who are my age, if you're feeling this, and and, and you might have lived through losing Kurt Cobain this way and a lot of the other stars who have uh, taken their life. Um, Here Brian Welch says, honestly, Chester's an old friend. We've hung out many times, and I have friends who are extremely close to him, but this is truly ticking me off. How can these guys send this message to their kids and fans? I'm sick of this suicide stuff. I've battled depression, mental illness, and I'm trying to be sympathetic, but it's hard when you're ticked off. Enough is enough. Giving up on your kids and fans and life is a cowardly way out. Now, a lot of people got upset with uh, uh, Brian Welch for doing this because they were saying you're being insensitive. But you know what? He has the right to grieve how he wants to grieve, okay? And this is upsetting, and I know – as a Christian, it's upsetting for me because many of our friends, I had a friend in high school do this, two of them actually, and the idea is here is that once we became Christians, I wish I could have stopped these guys by giving them the gospel message. And I was uh, even doing wakeboarding with a guy who was a bodybuilder, and he threw himself in front of a train. And I don't want to be uh, disrespectful towards people in their pain, but we've got to get upset at the ep- epidemic, Okay. If you don't agree with what Head is saying here, at least are you upset with the epidemic? Let me give you some more stats here from uh, the American Foundation of Suicide Prevention. Since 1993 to 2010, you can see it kind of goes down, and then it's now back on the upswing. And the point is, I mean, it's just too many. And the problem is, is because theology matters, okay? Every uh, 13.7 minutes, somebody takes their life. Uh, nearly one million people every year attempt suicide. Ninety percent of people who have, who, who people who die by suicide have a psychiatric psychiatric disorder. That's what Chris Cornell's wife is saying: is that it was because of the anti-anxiety medicine he was on. And uh, I could just go through all of the is the tenth leading cause of death in the U.S. And men are four times more likely to do it, and women are three times more likely. Excuse me. Uh, Men are four times more likely to die by the suicide attempt than women, but women are three times more likely to attempt it. And suicide is the highest among people, 40 to 59, and that's what these gentlemen with the age range that they were in. And then uh, what, what you find out here is there's a lot of reasons behind it, right? And I'm not here to say that it's wrong to take medication or see a counselor, but we need to, as Christians, go back to the Bible and go back to a Christian worldview. I mean, how many people have I heard in my life that felt this way, but God saved them and took them out of this lifestyle. Now, I wasn't suicidal, but I was dealing with anxiety because of drug abuse and bad experiences that I was having, and then I wanted my mother to put me in a mental hospital at 18, but that was November fifth, 1995. Jesus came into my life. See, Chester is about my age. I'm 40. He's 41, and if Jesus would have been in Chester's life. I don't think this would have gone the same way. Now, I know there's pastors that take their life, Christians that take their life, but that's a, that's, that is diverting from who they are. That's acting outside of the norm. As a matter of fact, as Pentecostals, we have a lower rate Of depression among even other christians because of our spirit-filled nature and those who are speaking in tongues ought to do so more often and do it as as much as you can paul said i'm glad that i do it more than anybody there in the corinth is because i think of praying in the spirit as releasing that valve and all the things that uh, we learn about how to prevent suicide are found in the word of god be ready to help you know we should be there to help others and ask for help well the bible says be accountable to one another offer jesus at all times Jesus is the anchor of the soul. See, these guys didn't know when they would need Jesus, and the devil, being as smart as he is, takes advantage to steal, kill, and destroy. See, that's the problem, is you don't know when you're going to need Jesus. And if you give yourself to these addictions, as a lot of these guys did, and they mess up their minds, and they don't have Jesus, and so they go to these doctors, and these doctors give them these psychiatric drugs, um, psych- you know, those drugs that mess with their, psych- their psychology and physiology, their mind and their body, and then you don't know when you're going to need Jesus. You don't know what you're capable of on your worst day. And then, it's, and then we need to teach others the truth about suicide and the meaning of life. And uh, here I have some nuggies from Dr. Meyer. He has the holistic clinics around the Midwest here in Chicago, some of the biggest Christian clinics. And he wrote the book, Happiness is a Choice. And this is not just to say that. People don't have real problems or maybe don't need to get professional help. But in all of his time, I mean, this is what he has come up with is some of these nuggies. And I think we need to really be honest because we, can't, we just can't medicate people to help, okay? We just can't medicate them out of their problems. We need to give them Jesus and sound doctrine that you have a creator and that you're a part of his creation. And if your body's not acting right, you need to count it as crucified, deny yourself. Even in Chester's interviews, he's saying, I got all this stuff going on in my head. Well, what does the Bible says? Be renewed in your mind, right? Put those thoughts to death. Set your mind above. But if you're told you're an animal, if you're told that your life has no meaning, there's no God, you've come from nothing into nothing you go. Well, then what do you have to lose, right? You're not going to care about your children in that way. And I know sometimes people say, well, that's insensitive. But the point is, if we want to help people, we need to tell them the truth. And the truth is, it is a choice. Now, sometimes they may be so medicated that they don't know the consequent consequence of their choice. And for that, let God be the judge, okay? I'm not here to say who's in heaven or hell, but 99% of the time, well, I don't know. I won't say statistics because I don't know. But the times that people are taking their life, it's a choice, and we need to tell them to make better choices beforehand and that they can come to us and we'll help them. Look at what Dr. Myers said. Many of us learn faulty ways of handling our emotions in the first six years of our life when most of our adult behavior patterns are learned. So you see, a lot of this starts at childhood, and it's never addressed. But that's why Jesus said, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Do it my way. Give up your life. Lose your life for my sake, and you shall be given life. Do you get that? Jesus literally says, commit spiritual suicide now for my sake. Stop trying to figure this out, and trust me, and do it my way, okay? And the root problem nearly in all depressions this is dr. Meyer is saying that it's pent up anger either towards ourselves with true or false guilt or towards others holding grudges either you're just angry at yourself and you wish it would be different in your life and you're angry that you can't change and I've even heard people say this on these posts about suicide and depression is I do want to change I don't want to have these thoughts I'm so angry I, I get angry at myself well see that's part of the problem you you can't fix yourself, and that's that That's that despair. You know, all of us can be depressed at times and have a bad day, but it's when it moves into despair and hopelessness that it's truly anger, like, ah, forget this. I don't want to do it anymore. You know, to throw yourself in the train, you have got in front of a train or to hang yourself, you have got to be angry and upset with life as it is. It's not just tears. It's also hidden and pent-up anger and that guilt that drives your anger or holding grudges, thinking that you deserve more. And then this is what he says about suicide. Let me read this, and then I'll pass it off to Jared here. He says, first, most people commit suicide do so when they are not seeing things realistically. That is true. The devil's a liar. It's deceptive. Your mind can deceive you. They would not commit suicide if they saw the true nature of the situation and realized that their problem was only temporary and solvable. There's a man that tried to kill himself jumping off the Golden Gate Bridge, and he got spared. God spared his life, and now he's going around the country telling people this. He's so glad that he was spared. And so we need to help people see the truth of what God is offering. After two months of therapy, patients who were formerly suicidal are amazed that they were actually considering suicide in the past. Secondly, the effects of suicide on surviving children and other relatives and friends are devastating. So you see, that's why Head is upset, because he's saying, man, you pass this on to your kids. Now they're going to be more likely to want to do that when they come to a stressful situation. They're saying, Dad couldn't handle it. Well, maybe I can't handle it. Come on, people. And I want to go back to Chester and Chris Cornell. These guys sang depressing songs. That's why when I got saved, I couldn't even listen to it anymore. And I'm going hungry. And then the other one, I'm, I'm so numb. Come on, guys. That's what I came out of. Jesus saved me. Come he on. would have done it for them. but they. For, and I'm not putting them in heaven or hell because let God be the judge of them. But I, I will say this with that mindset, that comes from hell. That is a devilish mindset. That's an unbelieving mindset. And if they didn't repent, they will be in hell because they didn't trust God. They made God out to be a liar. God doesn't want them to be numb. God doesn't want them to be hungry. God said that he was the bread of life and that man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And so he says that the children are more likely to follow this. Dear God, have mercy because they will have that bad example. And so finally, suicide is a sin, just like murder is a sin. It's not an unpardonable sin. We'll let God sort it out on Judgment Day, whether they were believers in desperation making bad decisions or if they were unbelievers doing more sinful, stupid things. Suicide is sin. God said, thou shalt not murder. You didn't start this. You don't get to end it. Trust God Amen. that he gives life and he gives and he takes it away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Suicide is never God's will. And so I got links and resources here for you guys to get some to call somebody right now. If you're listening to me live or at a different time, we do want to see you get help. But understand, we're mad at the devil. We're not mad at you. Some of us here can even relate it, relate to you. That, that That's that's not necessarily your fault that you're feeling these things the devil's coming against you he's come to steal kill and destroy your life and we want to see you come to jesus and that's why this generation needs to stop going to these concerts looking to these people as examples and start filling the stadiums with the gospel and give hope to mankind jared what do you think about all that
0: well you know i uh, i used to uh, suffer with depression myself um it's been said you know chris cornell suffered with depression anxiety Chester Bennington and and another one who I think is a great example of somebody who who you would never guess, Robin Williams,
1: Williams.
0: uh, dealing with with depression and things of that nature. I used to take Depakote as a teenager, which is an anti-depression medication. And, um, you know, and I used to think I was bipolar and things like that. Uh, part of it, I think, had to do with the fact that I listened to Insane Clown Posse and these guys, yeah. they basically pride themselves on mental illness. So I thought that's cool. That's, that just shows you like how much Jesus saved me. Right. Uh, he saved me from a whole lot. I do not need depression meds today. I walk around with a smile on my face and a song in my heart. And I'm not exaggerating. That is that is true. People who know me. Uh, know me as a jovial, a joyful person. And that's the grace of God. That's a testimony. Uh, but let me just back up a bit. Let's look at depression and mental disorders uh, just as a whole, as, as things that can contribute to suicidal behaviors. Uh, I, I want to look at the roots of it. Number one is depression and mental disorder. Is it sinful? Is it satanic? Or is it psychological? Is it sinful, is it satanic, or is it psychological? I believe that sometimes depression and mental disorder can be sinful. It can be either the result of sin that someone has been sinned against in such a way that it traumatizes them and affects them emotionally, mentally, spiritually, and brings about patterns of depression. If someone has been abused, raped, witnessed a violent crime, for example, then that can be somewhat uh, the result of sin, but the attitude itself can be sinful. It can be pride. It can be prideful self-abasement. It can be, it can be somebody having a pity party. It can be someone being stubborn. It can be someone being bitter and resentful. And, and, and in that sense, the person who's in depression, as much as we want to have compassion and sympathy, they're actually in sin. With that behavior, and they need to repent of that behavior, and we need to call them to repent of that behavior. So sometimes depression can be sinful, sometimes it can be satanic. The devil loves to destroy people's minds and hearts. He loves to sow depression, he loves to sow anxiety, he loves to sow darkness. That is something that he does. So I do believe that some of it is spiritual. Uh, Many times, If someone reads a book like Pigs in the Parlor, for example, they're going to begin to diagnose everything as spiritual. I do believe some things are spiritual. I believe that ultimately everything is spiritual, but we cannot overlook what is sinful, what is the result of a behavior or what is a behavior itself that someone is choosing. So we have sinful, satanic or psychological. The brain is an organ. The brain is flesh. Just like the kidneys sometimes break down and need surgery or some kind of treatment to get better, just like the heart, the lungs, or any other organ, the brain is an organ. The brain is part of your flesh. Ephesians 2.3 says that the flesh has thoughts, cravings, and desires. The brain can be taught to crave certain chemicals if it's had enough exposure to them, and it will not function properly without the, those chemicals. The brain can be taught to pursue certain activities again and again once it's been trained to do so. And so there is a psychological, I'm referring to the activity of the brain. So what I'm suggesting here. Is is that the Christian worldview looks at it holistically where a neurologist looking at the brain, where the counselor who deals with the emotions and in the, in the events of a person's life and the minister who deals spiritually with the word of God, each approaching it from a Christian worldview can address uh, these issues. Let me say just a couple words in passing now about suicide that raises a lot of questions. As pastor Joe mentioned um, suicide, we do not believe, is an unpardonable sin. The blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is, but there's nothing else identified as an unpardonable sin. And, but, but yet we see it is self-murder. Yet we see that it is reflective of deep spiritual and emotional darkness in a person. Let me, here's a few thoughts in passing. I'm not going to attempt to consign Chester Bennington to heaven or hell. God is his judge, and I'm. Jared's gems, or are you still hitting on my goodie? No, we are in. Um, in the news. Okay, you haven't got the chairs, gems. Okay. Oh no. Okay, good. Just, just a few nuggies here. Number one, murder is wrong, for it is the taking of life that is not yours to take. God, who alone gives life, alone has the prerogative to take life. Therefore, suicide is also wrong because your life and entire being belongs to God. That's one thing. Secondly, life is good. Life is a gift from God. Life is worth living. Life should not be despised. If you ever think you came up with a set of conditions where suicide is a viable moral option, I invite you to meet someone in the world who has met those conditions and still finds life worth living. In other words, they have not found the value of life to be based on one's fortune or misfortune, ability or disability. Rather, they have found that life in itself has inherent value and is still good even when nothing else is. That's why the vast majority of people do not commit suicide. Yes, some people do and some people attend it, but many don't. Many people go through hardships. We all do. But not all of us commit suicide. Why? Because we value our own lives. The Bible says when God created the world, it was good. Life is good. Life is a gift from God. And if you ever think that your life is not worth living, I invite you to talk to Joni Erickson Tata, who is a quadriplegic. She's a Christian woman. Look her up, Joni and friends. She She is a kind of an inspirational speaker, and she is in this wheelchair living an abundant life. If you say her life's not worth living because of her problems uh, compared to your problems, then you you need to talk to her a little bit and get a sense, hey, life is still good no matter what. And the last thing is, as Christians, we should want to help people suffering from depression and suicidal tendencies, as did Chester Bennington. This help ultimately comes through the gospel. For if the good news of God's grace to sinners is not sufficient enough to give us a reason to live, Nothing is now to Jared's gems yep. building off of this conversation. How do we reach people that are struggling inwardly with depression, anxiety, mental disorder, things of that nature, or maybe they have trouble going on in their life? It may not be directly related to, to the brain or what have you, but there are things that are going on that, that we just don't know about, but they, they put a face on. They put a face on, and I'm all right, and I'm all right. And they go to our churches, and they say, I'm all right, I'm doing good. You ask them week after week, I'm all right, I'm doing good. I just want to give you some practical and pastoral advice on how to uh, minister to these folks. And what I'm basically going to prescribe is what the Bible calls wisdom. But to use a more uh, modern term, I'm going to call this emotional wisdom. Intelligence. We need to have emotional intelligence. And if you don't know, there was a book on it in the mid 90s. It's really a big concept in the business world. And it's basically about having self awareness and the ability to empathize with other people. So we need to be able to read people to understand them. The Bible says in Proverbs 20, verse 5, that the purposes of a person's heart are deep waters. But one who has insight draws them out. So why am I saying this? There are people who struggle, but they don't let it on. I would think not so much Chester because I, even from a distance, his music was mopey. His, his tweets uh, on Twitter kind of gave away a very angry heart. But someone like Robin Williams, for example, no one ever guessed it because he's the life of the party. He's so funny. He's so warm. He makes people laugh. He gives to charity. He hangs out with kids at, at hospitals and things like that. How could someone do something like that? And yet we hear of people like that all the time. I never would have guessed they were going through that. I never would have known, but it's too late and the person does it. So uh, it does the act of suicide or attempt suicide. Well, we need to be aware of people. Let me just read something. My, my friend from... Um, Washington, D.C. He's a writer and he's actually going to be publishing a blog. He asked me my thoughts on it, and we weren't able to coordinate a phone call. So I put some stuff in writing. I'm just going to share with you uh, what I told him. I said, In my opinion, most people who struggle with depression will betray it somehow, whether intentionally or unintentionally. We just have to pay attention. This calls for emotional tele- intelligence. It is written. The purposes of a person's heart are deep waters, but one who has insight draws them out. If we get to know someone, have genuine interest in them, ask questions, listen, and have a healthy sense of empathy, it will be hard not to detect signs of inner struggle. Further, even while many try to hide their depression behind a veneer of winsomeness, achievement, or being the life of the party, they are dying for someone to confide in and they will confide in someone whom they feel is safe and will give them the time of day. They are often unsure of how to tell someone what's really happening, but are hoping that perhaps we will somehow broach the subject. And I'm speaking we as and you, the listener, a Christian friend, especially you that has the hope of Jesus Christ, you pastors, and, and that is often an expectation, and it's a rightful expectation upon pastors and Christian leaders that we are looked to to, to be a, a, an arm ex- extending out to these folks. So that's who, we're, that's who we're talking about here. They're hoping that we broach the subject. They're hoping that we say, hey, what's going on? Hey, what's going on in your life? How's your marriage? How's your heart? How can I pray for you? They don't know how to tell us sometimes, and so they're often waiting for that. Here's some practical advice listen carefully when someone says something, the effect of, yeah, I've got a lot going on. When someone says that they're, they're, they're often like saying, well, why don't you ask me what's going on? Why don't you ask me how I'm feeling? Can you, you know, what, what, what I, I want to talk about this. I don't have anyone else. I feel I can talk to Will you please talk to me? They don't know how to say that. And, and we need to teach them. But it, until then we're, we're initiating that we're bringing it there. Or when someone says, Hey, let's hang out sometime. They, they probably mean that they want to hang out with you. And I, and I, as a pastor, I I get that a a lot of the time people will just in passing, they're just going to mention things like, yeah, it's hard at home. Yeah. I've got a lot of issues. Yeah. Just pray for me. Don't let those opportunities pass you by. Don't let people just, Oh yeah, I'll pray for you, brother. And then just walk on by and, and go about your business that is an opportunity to minister the good news to that person. It is an opportunity to preach Jesus Christ to that area of that person's heart. So we need not to take it lightly. They're attempting to reach out to us. But again, if we aren't paying attention, we will miss people who are basically begging us to ask them how they're doing. Yeah, Yeah. well, once we get beyond that, Okay, so we, we need to have wisdom. And to, again, the modern, the modern equivalent here is emotional intelligence, being smart with people. But we also have to have love. If we have wisdom without love, we're, yeah, we're going to see the people. We're people smart. Oh, I know where this person's going, but I don't want to talk to them. I don't want to give them the time of day. They're just going to talk my ear off. It's going to be depressing. I mean, let's be real. Let's be real. We all know people that we we talk to them and and it's like they suck the life out of us. I got to be real. I'm not I'm not trying to 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 lack compassion for folks, but they suck the life out of us. You you'll have a conversation out of the heart the mouth speaks. They're going to talk with negativity, self-pity, how bad everything is. And then you try to encourage them. You try to to speak a, a word of life to them but it's just overcome by their persistent pessimism yeah but yeah but yeah but and you just can't wait for that conversation to be over because it's like I don't I don't even know what to do with this I don't even know what to say they just unloaded so much sadness and depression on me and I I don't even have an answer for them not not one that they will accept and so we have to have that emotional intelligence, that wisdom to begin to kind of see through that. We don't naturally gravitate towards people who are depressed. Again, some people can hide it. Some people you would never guess because they're so sweet and so kind. But the, but the people you know are depressed are, are kind of hard to deal with. And because we can't deal with them, we avoid them. So here's here are some things we need to do uh, concerning Concerning wisdom, concerning emotional intelligence, we may not all have counseling degrees, but we can all have wisdom. It helps immensely to have self-awareness and to be able to sense the feelings of others. It serves to disarm us of the pithy sayings and scriptural quotations that so often bounce off of broken and hardened hearts as seeds sown on the beaten path. Come on, you ever quote, "Hey, Romans 8:28, brother, Romans 8:28. God is with you, God is for you." And to them it just sounds like a cliché. It's just bouncing off the heart uh, like the seed uh, in the parable of the sower. But when we have emotional intelligence, when we practice wisdom, we speak less and listen more. We don't expect the answers to come as a result of one pep talk nor do we impose that burdensome expectation on those we are helping. We understand that the values of trust and faithfulness sometimes go much further than correct answers. Listen, if somebody knows that you love them and that you're there for them, it doesn't matter if you have all the correct theology in the world. That matters more to that person at that moment. We see through verbal smoke screens and seek to get to the heart of the matter. You know, there's surely more that can be said for this. But if you don't have wisdom, Proverbs 4 says get wisdom. So if you don't have it, you can get it. You can read books uh, galore on the subject. You can listen to podcasts on the subject. So so there's no shortage of things. Obviously, this is just to whet your appetite. Look up the concept of emotional intelligence. It'll go a long way Um in that area so here's my question and i forgot to pose the question for uh in the news but it's a good one so i'm going to say that one too uh a number of, for in the news do you believe that depression is normative for jesus disciples or joy and peace, joy
1: and peace.
0: come on is depression normative for jesus disciples or joy and peace that's the question because some people think that Christians get depressed just like everybody else. Yeah, yeah, bad things happen. Yeah, we have misfortune. Yeah, there's ups and downs. But do Christians live in depression, despair, and hopelessness like everyone else? The Bible says we don't despair as those who have no hope. And then my question concerning Jared's gems. Do you believe that God will use you to reach people dealing with depression and suicidal tendencies? Friend, I can almost promise you know somebody. Let God use you. Be aware Pay attention to the people around you and pay attention to the heart of God for those people when you encounter them. What do you think? Woo!
1: Boom shakalaka. Boy, aren't you guys glad that Jared is back in the saddle again? Man, he just brought that so good. Uh, We just appreciate you guys uh, tuning in and checking us out. We know we're starting to get some regulars. I know uh, for many that the hour of power that we're on here from 430 to To 5.30 may not be the best, but um, you can always check us out back on the podcast. But what good nuggies, man. So many things that come in my heart when I think about this is uh, what Jesus taught us. And so we're just going to go right in here to a a, a word from the word. What Jesus taught us about the load of life, about the burdens of life. Does anybody here think Jesus understands? I mean, come on, Jesus understands. And Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Listen to this part here. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. My friend, let me just ask you, let's just be real. We're not putting people in heaven or hell, but let's just be real right now. When I talk to the sinner and I talk to the ungodly and I tell them that Jesus Christ is the only way to God the Father, that they are a creation of God the Creator, and they don't bow their knee, they don't say Jesus is Lord, they don't believe that this cross was for them, what hope do they have? I mean, honestly, let's just say not everybody's committing suicide, obviously. But those who die at 80 years with a wonderful family, wonderful life, they're still going to go to hell for eternity because they're rebels against God. They're rebels against God. Now, what about the people who are prone to these things that are going to suffer in life? Why suffer in life and then suffer eternity in hell? My friend, there's no escape when the person takes their life. The next moment they're in hell waiting for the final judgment. They don't know Jesus then they're in the lake of fire. And you may say, Pastor, are you trying to scare me? Yeah, I want to scare the hell right out of you. I want to put some heaven in you. Now let me ask you this. Do you believe what Jesus said? Jesus said, my yoke is easy. My load is light. You shall find rest for your soul. Isn't that the same promise we heard in Psalm 23 from David? The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the paths of the righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and staff. They comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. My friends, is that the lyrics that I hear from Numb from Lincoln Park? Let's just put it up here. Let's just put the, the words up here. Yeah, I got it, baby. Come on. Let's just see it. I am tired of being what you want me to be feeling so faithless, lost under the surface. I don't want what you're expecting of me. Maybe this is him actually talking to God. I don't know who he's talking to, but he's faithless. He doesn't want to be what they want him to be, caught in the undertow, just caught in the undertow. Every step that I take is another mistake to you. I've become so numb. I can't feel you there. Become so tired, so much more aware by becoming this all I want to do, is to be like me and be less like you now my friend i just want to take a step of faith and say this is directed towards god one of my friends said back in the day every song is either towards a woman you know or towards god you know but i'll just say this in one sense every song's about god the way i treat my wife is how how i see god because if the bible says as i see god is how i'll see her and so honestly, I feel that's him directly speaking to God. I don't feel you. I don't want to be like what you want me to be. Not maybe a mother or a parent figure or something else in his life. But my friends, we can't go through life pushing back God and expect to have God's blessings. If it's raining outside and God offers you an umbrella and you don't want the umbrella, is it any wonder you get wet? And the people of this world, their souls are restless. And I, I know that Corey Tim Boone said this. My heart was restless until it found its rest in you, and that—I don't know if that was Corey Timboon—but my heart was restless until it found its rest in you, my friends. You need Jesus today. I'll Saint Augustine rather. And today, if you have any questions, put them up there. If you need someone to pray with you, call the number on the eight hundred line, or if you're part of a good church, talk to a leader. But my word from the Word today is, Jesus will give you rest for your soul. Jesus will give rest for your soul. He will tickle your spirit. He will comfort you. He he will will comfort you and do for you what you can't do for yourself. We've got some extra time here that I want to give to Jared until people uh, ask any questions. But I want us to know that that word from the word today is not a game. He said he comforts me. He's with me in the valley of the shadow of death, so I don't have to fear evil today. That's one of the things I've had to deal with. Jared is watching, you know, pastors have affairs or this one ruined their marriage or life or whatever, and I've had to come back and say, you know what? That's not me, man. You know, it's sometimes scary to see people throw their life away, and you wonder, man, would I get that desperate and do something like that? But you know what God says? Don't be afraid of evil. Fear no evil. I didn't give you the spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and a sound mind. I wonder how many of us have quoted those scriptures, and God took us out of the pit of despair. We never even knew it. Maybe we were about ready to go down a six-month journey of despair, but we quoted that scripture that day, and God put that faith right in our heart and drove out the darkness. You know, as that song goes, pushing back the darkness. The Bible says the light shines in the darkness, talking about the light of Christ in John chapter 1, and the world cannot overcome it. The world can't overcome the light of Christ. And so I want to say to everybody here today, find rest for your soul. I mean, this is why our martyrs, the Christians even today around the world can be beaten and persecuted, and yet they have smiles on their faces. The Fox's Book of Martyrs even records that as they were being burned alive, Christians were smiling, and even some of the Roman soldiers would convert right there and come to Jesus because they knew that there was something inside of those people. The Bible even says that for the joy set before Jesus, he could endure the cross. Let's just look at that scripture together. I'm still waiting for questions, and I'll hand it to Jared for our last few minutes here. But Hebrews uh, chapter 12 says this to us an encouragement. Therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. So I would say to those who are living today, throw off Lincoln Park songs. They're singing. It's what blows my mind. They're singing these songs as a dedication to them. And I'm like, you're spreading the poison. You're singing numb as a dedication to Chester who committed suicide because he felt so numb. If you want to have something dedicated to him, get up there and sing Amazing Grace. Sing, there is power, power, wonder-working power in the blood of the land. I dedicate this to Chester. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the precious blood of the land. See, I dedicate that to his memory so we won't repeat. Those lies of numb and all of those songs he used to sing, yeah, there's a battle in your head, yeah, my friend, it's called the curse, it's the flesh, and Jesus said crucified. Let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us hebrews twelve two fixing our eyes on Jesus. Woo, come on, I get excited when I fix my eyes on Jesus, even though there's pain. And if, God forbid, I ever have to suffer more than I've suffered now, I want to fix my eyes on Jesus, the one who has never let me down, the one who understands all that I'm going through, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Wow. People can't even handle life, but yet yeah, Jesus could handle the cross. Why? Because God was with him. He saw the joy set before him, scorning the shame. He sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And we should consider this from, we should consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that we will not grow weary and lose heart. Jared, I don't see any questions. They should be coming up maybe in episodes in the future, but in the last few moments, tell us how not to lose heart, but find rest in Jesus.
0: Well, I don't see anywhere in the new Testament where new covenant disciples of Jesus have depression and despair is their lot. Just look at Paul, probably as our best example of someone totally dedicated to the work of God who endures immense hardship. And yet he can say in the midst of suffering, in the midst of beatings, in the midst of abandonment, in the midst of starvation, in the midst of betrayal, that we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Friends, we have made cliches out of that, but he believed that and he lived by that. Our, our closing, my question to you, friend, is do you now, um, it says, do you believe today that you are at rest in Jesus and now possess the abundant life you promised? That is yours today. That is yours today, regardless of what's in your bank account, regardless of who's for you or against you, regardless of what happened yesterday. You can have peace with God and peace with mind that passes all understanding. That is not just a cliche. That is a reality. That is something that the father has promised and he will deliver on. Amen.
1: Amen. God, thank you for joining us. Yes. This is what we believe. What, what do you, we want to know? <laughs> you first. We want to know. What, what, what do you, you
0: believe? believe?